You're listening to the Open Court Podcast with Jay Young, Bob Huesler, and Joe DeSantis. An all-access pass to Fairfield University men's basketball. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to Open Court with Jay Young, your Fairfield University basketball podcast, starring the first-year head coach of the Fairfield Stags. I'm Bob Usler, along with the Fairfield Hall of Famer, my broadcast partner, Joe DeSantis. In this edition of the podcast, we'll review the Stags games against Quinnipiac and Canisius. We'll talk about the game coming up against Ryder, and we'll get into how the Stags handled the news about the stunning death of a basketball icon. Kobe Bryant certainly influenced in one way or another many of the players who compete today for the Stags. First, though, uh, Coach, let's talk about uh, the game, great game against Canisius on Sunday. And as background to this, I'm going to talk about something that we all talked about off microphone a week ago, and that was uh, how you were frank with us. You said you were disappointed in, in the crowd that came out for the St. Peter's game, and we all came to the same conclusion that, you know, the students had just arrived back, and many probably didn't even know about the game that night, and it was just one of those nights where the energy wasn't quite there in Alumni Hall, not the way it can be and was on Sunday. And the Friday before the game against Canisius, you go over to Barone and you kind of started beating the drum yourself with the t-shirt giveaway and just getting the, the, the f- fans, the students energized and engaged. And we would be curious about what inspired that, what led to that. And, uh, it looked like you had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Really, uh, Zach Dayton and I talked after the St. Peter's game, and we kind of targeted this Canisius game as trying to get some students out to it. We thought it would be a, a good time. It was a 2 o'clock game on a, set, a Saturday, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a Sunday afternoon. And um, he said, well, why don't we go over in the CAF and we'll hand out some T-shirts and try and get a buzz for the game going. I thought it was a great idea, and you know, everybody loves a free T-shirt. So uh, we went over there Friday. Um we had the Quinnipiac game that night, so after the shoot-around, I went over and uh, just started handing out some T-shirts and kind of joking around with the students and trying to get some people in the stands for Sunday. So, uh, you know, it was a great en- great energy in the building on Sunday, and those are the type of crowds that uh, that we need. It really helped us and gave us a real home court advantage. Yeah, there was no doubt that at many points during that game, um, you fed off of the energy of the crowd and one of the statistical disparities in that game against Canisius was the rebounding the second chance points now look I'm not trying to say all of this is cause and effect but a lot of that had to do with the energy that your team was was feeding off as as far as that crowd was concerned right yeah there's no question Bob we you know guys want to play and uh, it's, it's a different building when it's loud like that and it's a different atmosphere when it's loud like that and our guys want to play in that type of a home court environment, and it makes a huge difference. We were talking a little bit about Rutgers right now, who legitimately has a home court advantage like everybody else in the Big Ten, uh, and it's the smallest arena in the Big Ten, but they're packing every night, and it's loud, and to some extent, that was what was happening here on Sunday. We got a good crowd in there. The students got into it, and the guys really fed off the energy in the building. Well, let's talk about that game uh, from a performance standpoint, um, rebounding, was was a big big key must be uh, really pleasurable for you to watch that because first of all that's a Canisius team that certainly can you know be strong on the glass if you don't 
hold them in check. And a lot of what you've been practicing and preaching and uh, all along kind of manifested itself uh, to a, a really good degree in that game, didn't it? It did, yeah. You know, we, we've been saying this all along that we need some secondary ways to score. Um, the points are at a premium for us, and, and for in order for us to find those ways, we really need the offensive rebound and get some, some extra possessions. So we've been fortunate to do that for the most part in, in, in league games. Uh, I think we had 15 against Canisius, and a lot of those turned into points. We were able to spray a couple out to the perimeter. Landon got an open three, which is not easy for him to do with the way guys are guarding him. So it was certainly a uh, a big part of our game plan going in, and, and fortunately we were able to uh, to grab some and get us some extra possessions. Chris Mido by himself, almost out-rebounded the entire starting five for Canisius. It's just the progression that he's on right now. Almost on a game-to-game basis, you can watch Chris and see that he's becoming mostly more confident in himself, right. isn't he? Yeah, that's a good word, Bob. We could see the confidence every single game. Um, you know, we really were, were kind of got on him in practice about his rebounding, and and, and we wanted to see that uh, increase. And, you know, for about two weeks, uh, Coach Sellers, every time a shot went went up in practice, he would be yelling Chris's name just to get his habits a little better about chasing the ball off the glass. And I think you've seen, you know, uh, he, he's quick to the ball. Uh, he's obviously very athletic and got good hands and, and good timing. So when he's got s- some space, especially coming from the perimeter, he's a very, very good offensive rebound. And um, we just need to see that more in every single game because it's been huge for us. How coachable is he? Oh, he's great. Yeah, no, Chris is – that's what I, why I think he's going to be great is because he listens, he absorbs everything. If you criticize him or if you're tough on him, he doesn't take it personal. He moves on to the next play, and uh, he's special in that regard. That's something that a coach has to always judge, too. Uh, I mean, on an individual, case-to-case basis, not every player responds the same way to tough love, do they? And I think that's an obvious – observation uh do you run the spectrum on this team in terms of uh, players like you just said chris does respond well to the hard coaching do you have to kind of alter it on a uh, individual basis well i wonder what my players would say with that (laughs) but i i think you know um i think john wooden said to treat them all the same is to treat them unfairly and uh that's that's true that everybody's got a different personality everybody responds to things differently so some guys can you can be a little tougher on some guys. You, you you can say the same thing but say it differently. But at the same time, you know, they, they all have to be held accountable to the same stuff. So, um, yeah, they, I think as a coach, you're always trying to find a personality and hit the right uh, buttons for, for each player. Which leads us to asking you about another player who you've been coaching along the way here to try and do different things, and that would be Landon Taliaferro. And on Sunday, he took 13 shots, made six. Only one of the made six was a three-pointer. And I looked it up. Only one other game this year did he have as many as five more made two-pointers than three-pointers. That was the Davidson game. This is all part of what you're trying to get him to do. And he seems to really be responding to it. What is the potential as this season moves along for him to even improve better as far as again being specific taking mid-range jumpers taking the ball to the glass it opens things up obviously when he can do that but take us from where he was say in September when you're working with him and where he is as we're talking today 
Well, I think even this summer we started, you know, just looking at some stuff and trying to um, diversify his game a little more. And, you know, when you when you can shoot it as well as Landon and when you're coming off a, a game where you've made the most threes in the country in one game, when he made 10 versus Texas A&M, you're just going to be played differently and you have to adjust. Um, and he's being kind of hugged and grabbed off the ball and um, people aren't on the help side. So, you know, we've told him a lot that he's going to have to put the ball down on the floor. A lot of people are chasing him off screen. So he's having some curl opportunities that he's going to have to put it down for a couple dribbles. And he's worked hard, to his credit, to do that. Um, and I love the box score. I said the two best box scores I thought he had all year were that and Wagner were the same thing. He got to the foul line. He was efficient. I mean, the, the not that I didn't like the 10 threes versus Texas A&M, but I thought, you know, obviously that's not what you're going to get every night, and you're going to have to put the ball down the floor. So he did that. He got fouled. He's a great free throw shooter. So, the you know, I feel if we can get him to the line and he can get fouled more, it's, it's like uh, two points automatic almost. And um, he's done a great job with that. He's got to continue to progress in that and, and kind of figure out how people are playing them and, and make the right adjustments. You know, one of the plays in the game against Canisius that really got the crowd involved was that dunk from Alan Jean Rose. That was a nice pass by Landon to set that it was, up. Yeah. It kind of gets lost in the in, in the uh, spectacular dunk there. And that leads us to ask you about Alan Jean Rose, who this was the first MAC game that he had hit double digits in minutes played. What led to the decision to give him more playing time against Canisius? And where do you go from here as far as Alan Jean Rose is concerned? Well, he had been practicing better, quite honestly. And, and uh, you know, it's just taken him a while to figure some stuff out. Um, a little longer than some of the other guys with making the transition from high school to college. And his defense has improved. Um, his decision-making has improved. And we've kind of seen that in practice. And, you know, we knew the way Canisius was going to play, that we needed some guys who could probably drive the ball a little more and get in there rather than, uh, you know, that the standstill catch-and-shoot threes weren't going to be as available. Talked about, you know, giving him more of a chance. And quite honestly, i got to let him play through a couple more mistakes. Um, we've just been in so many close games where every possession seems like the Super Bowl to us. But um, we kind of made the decision he was going to get a little chance, and, and uh, he certainly made the most of it. I'm going to let Joe ask you about Jesus Cruz because Joe talked to Jesus after the game, and he was quite, as Joe will talk to you about he was quite um frank about the coaching decision you made to use him off of the bench but joe why don't you take it from there yeah a couple of things uh we in regards to the game and cruise you know it was uh, you, you got to the foul line 21 times you made 19 he was 13 for 13 this right. is a guy that was shooting under 60 percent we've seen so many games this year on tv and teams losing games because they can't make free throws um so um yeah, I just asked him about how difficult it was for him to go essentially from being the man early in the season when he was virtually unstoppable and everyone was talking all league. You, you know how people will right. tell you in your year how great you are and, and all of a sudden he, he he was like invisible. You know, you, 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 you know, you made the decision to bring him off the bench. And so um, I asked him about that and, and he, he gave a great answer about how, um, you know, it's it's his role now and he wants to cherish it and, embellish it and so just your thought process on his game uh off the bench are you going to continue to play off the bench and and what do you th what do you think about him uh, taking in that role 
Yeah, he, he's, uh, you know, first of all, I appreciate the fact that it's, it's never easy for a guy who started and had success early to then come off the bench. That's never an easy role for guys to accept. And he's done a great job, makes my job easier when, when a player does that. And it, it wasn't a decision about him playing poorly, him playing well. It was a decision that we wanted, you know, Itis in there to give us another ball handler. Uh, you know, we were last in the league in assists and still, but, but we wanted another guy to help generate some baskets for us rather than, um, you know, so many baskets just kind of coming on individual uh, efforts. So it was nothing really that Jesus was doing poorly. I think that you saw the decline in, in his points because quite honestly, you know, films got out and people were just taking away, like any other player, taking away a lot of the stuff that he was scoring. It was just more difficult for him. So he's done a great job with that. Um, uh, you know, we, we've talked to him a lot about it when he gets in the lane and he draws so many guys about him kind of kicking the ball to the perimeter a little more and seeing some stuff. And he's we're showing him a lot of film on that. And, you know, I, I really do appreciate the fact that his attitude's been great. He's been a really good teammate. He's... Uh, and he's embraced his role. And, you know, you saw a kid who, if he didn't have a great attitude, uh, you know, came in and, and, and really, you know, was a huge part of our victory the other day. And you don't do that if you don't stay positive and don't stay ready. You don't hit 13 out of 13 from the free throw line if you're not a good free throw shooter. What There's a disconnect there. He was a 58% free throw shooter going into that game. You know, what... <laughs> What was this all concentration uh, that you guys have a talk about? Look, you got to bear down a little bit more here at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, I've I've just said he's too good a player to shoot under sixty percent from the free throw line. That's that's just a matter of some confidence, and confidence comes from knowing that you put the time in the gym and and have, have put the extra work in. So he's been in there working on it, and he knows that that's not you know indicative of who he is. That he's more indicative of a 13 for 13 guy than he is of a guy who shoots under 60%. So he got in the gym, he worked on it. And, you know, I think too, when the first few go in, uh, in a game like that, that you, the rim gets a little bigger for you. And that's, that's what happened. But the credit goes to him for putting in the extra work. It really does. Yeah. So I'm actually going to take a little step backwards and I love to do this. I'm going to put you on the spot again. <laughs> You're up six and you get a rebound. With 30 seconds ago, <laughs> you kick the ball up the court. You know, you got to spread the court, right? And the ball goes into the hands of your best free throw shooter, Landon Talaferro. And, and please, listeners, don't. I'm not trying to kill Landon, but I just want I want to hear some insight. He takes a three, right? Which is out of ten things you could possibly do, the worst thing you could do. Long shot, long rebound, easy three down the other end, timeout, it's a three-point game with 28 seconds to go. How do you handle that? Well, he's, he's, Honestly. he said that he could hear Joe DeSantis from <laughs> yell shooter because that's what I would do. He, he, he swore he said, that's what he said. He said you were yelling shoot it. Uh, I, th- I think for most people who saw my reaction at the time, uh, well, first of all, thank God we won. Yeah. Because uh, I love Landon, and he would be enjoying his new school right now if we had <laughs> lost that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we certainly, uh, you know. How, I, how, how much after the game did you tell him that maybe, son, that was an ill-advised shot? Well, I think I told him immediately when it <laughs> happened, so I didn't have to tell him after the game. I think if you saw my reaction when he shot the ball. Did he know right away that he Yes, yeah, he did, he did. Um, you got caught up in the moment. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, we, we obviously addressed it. 
it's good when you win those games because you can kind of make your point with a couple jokes afterwards. Right. And, but obviously, um, you know, not not one of the wiser decisions. Um, I appreciate the fact that he has the confidence to take it. But, uh, yeah, in that situation, the game is over. You just got to hold the ball, and they're going to run at you and follow you, and it's you got to make two free throws. So a little more awareness of time and score, and uh, I'm sure – I'm sure they'll have that next time, but it was, um, it was, yeah. I think a lot of people have commented on my reaction when the when the ball <laughs> went up in the air. Like you said, you can laugh about it and smile about it because it ended up being a win. Another uh, another teaching moment, right? How uh, this is a question that I'm sure you're asked even by the casual fan often. Um, Landon and Jesus, how critical is it in terms of offense? We're all on board with the fact that you have got you've coached these guys up to the point where we know you're going to defend very well. How critical is it that you find offensive consistency from those two in particular? This is, let me put it another way: Is that going to dictate how far this Fairfield team can go? And I'm not trying to put it on two guys. I'm just talking about your two leading scores and the potential of finding on a game in and game out basis. Uh, some solid offensive consistency from those two. Yeah, I think there's no question about that, uh, Bob, that we, we've, you know, it's been well documented that we can struggle to score at times. And, and you know, it's I say this all the time, it, if you're a baseball manager, it's you can't hand the ball to your pitcher for 182 games and say, okay, we need a shutout, you know. It's just a tough way to play. So you've got to score points and score, you know, a normal amount of points to win a game. It's very difficult to win, you know, 48, 42 every night or keep the game in the 50s. The other team's being coached. The other team's got good offensive players. So, you know, we're going to need to have some offense that's going to bail out our defense at times. You always do. So when you get guys who consistently can kind of put a number up for you that you know going into the game that, okay, these guys got to get us on a bad night a certain amount of points, it does help you feel that, that, you know, if your defense doesn't have one of those nights, you can still win the game. So it's huge. It's huge for us to um, find another guy to have Jesus's offense the other night and, and to get the points from the free throw line. It also is huge for our defense when the other team is taking the ball out of bounds. And when you are at the free throw line, you know, you're already set. So uh, it, 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 going forward, we're going to need that for sure. That Canisius win was a great win in, in a, many regards. Two in particular. One, you kind of forget, you guys came back. You know, you were midway through that second half. You were down by, what was it, six, seven points. Came back, really seized control of that game. And you also bounced back from a loss the previous Friday night at Quinnipiac. If we can touch upon that game and the things that you did better against Canisius and the things that disappointed you in the Quinnipiac game, how would you term it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was disappointing, certainly with the results of Quinnipiac. We we went into the game really, um, you know, trying to do two things, and we didn't either. We were going to defend the three, and we were going to keep them off the foul line and make them beat us with two-point field goals. And we weren't able to do either one of those things. Um, and, and to Quinnipiac's credit, they made it very difficult to do. They made some very difficult threes, especially in the first half. But, uh, you know, again, it was just – I thought it was just our lack of some offensive execution again that kind of let us down. It got them into transition and uh, enabled them to kind of get on a roll. They were coming off a game where they didn't shoot the ball well, 
and they certainly shot it well against us. So I wasn't in love with our energy level in that game and our our defensive energy and our offensive execution. So that was addressed on Saturday. Uh, and we just – we kind of our theme was, you know, hey, we're getting down now to we're almost halfway through the league season, and we just got to get everybody all in. You know, let's let's just kind of go for this thing right now. Let's have everybody forget about, you know – how much playing time they're having or how many points they're scoring and all that stuff that doesn't matter. And just let's commit to being better in practice every day and, and seeing where it can take us. So I was, I was uh, pleased with the way they bounced back and pleased with the, uh, you know, when we're down six that we fought, got the lead back and our energy picked up defensively. We were able to get some steals that got us into transition uh, and got us some easy baskets, which, which we need. And uh, I thought that was the key to the game. Just we were back on our heels a little bit in the second half of Canisius. Johnson was kind of, you know, getting into lane and making those pull-up jumpers on us, and there wasn't much resistance from us. And I thought we just did a better job with um, getting out some passing lanes a little more, being a little more aggressive, uh, getting up in our ball screen coverage, which we were just way too far back and some things. And, you know, I thought that was the turn of the game was really the energy that we put on and got, got it like I think back-to-back steals and then had a good stop and came down and made a basket. So we need those type of uh, things to get our offense going. During that uh, Canisius game, uh, Joe and I were on the air late first half and one of the fans handed Joe a note, told him about Kobe Bryant, and then uh, Joe showed me the note. And I'll be honest with you, I, I lost my concentration. And uh, I'm watching the game, and I'm listening to the words coming out, and they're not matching what I'm seeing. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we have to refocus here. It was hard to do. Uh, you guys did not, luckily, fortunately, know about this Kobe's death until after the Canisius game was over, correct? Correct, yeah. No, no we did not know about it until after the game was over. Because there was a buzz in the crowd, yeah. and you wonder sometimes if that could filter down. Um, when did you guys learn about Kobe's passing? So when we got, I, I got done speaking to the team uh, right after the game, and then they were doing some autographs uh, out on the courts with the team, and I went out to see some of my family members, and they told me what happened, and I was in shock, and I could see that the guys were starting to get the word too as they were sitting down there. So um, a few of them had dispersed already after after the game, so we didn't get a chance to really talk about it. I talked to some of the guys in the locker room after they got done uh, signing the autographs, but we talked about it the next day when we met, and it's, you know, obviously shocking. Um, guys grew up, everybody grew up watching him and compete and play, and to a lot of guys, he was their favorite player. Yeah, that's what we wanted to talk to you, you know, quickly about, um, like, my guys, my basketball guys were the 69-70 Knicks. You know, those were my, you know, Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, my guys, and Joe, I know, is a big Oscar Robertson guy, and you're, uh, I imagine there are some Celtics. Sure. Uh, yeah, Larry Bird, Havlicek, sure. all those guys, yeah. My point is that your players, you know, Kobe's their, right. their guy. Um, what kind of reaction have you sensed from them? What kind of talk have you heard from them in reaction to what had to be a devastating blow for any fan but you know guys of your players generation particularly hard yeah well you know I showed them a video of there's so much content out on Twitter after uh, Kobe passed of um, kind of what we had been talking about about going for it don't worry about failing and there was a great I was scrolling through some stuff on Twitter late on Sunday night and I found across something that I thought was pretty poignant to what we had been talking about. And it was Kobe speaking about, you know, uh, you're better 
kind of to go all in and to fail rather than, you know, not follow your dreams or chase it. So I showed that to the team uh, on Monday morning and just said, I think this is appropriate for what we were talking about. And, you know, uh, I think the one thing that, you know, people have different opinions about Kobe as a player and where he stands, but I think the one thing that universally is respected is how hard he worked. I think that's well documented. And I, I, I said, well, you know, for those guys, if you really want to go out and honor someone that you looked up to or someone that you idolize, we'll go up and emulate his work ethic. That's a pretty good way, way to start. And, uh, yeah, but it was it, it was one of those moments you kind of always remember where you where, when you get news like that. And, uh, yeah, really shocking to everybody. Yeah, Joe, you, uh, you had a personal interaction with Kobe. Yeah, uh, uh, Jay would know this, and all listeners probably don't. You know, college coaches are not allowed to work these high school camps. Uh, there was a time when you were. Right. And it was an unfair advantage to the coaches. Everyone used to fight to work five-star so you can get close to all the players and become a better recruiter. Well, we had just gotten let go at Pitt in 94. Paul Evans got fired, and um, my family was in Pittsburgh. I'll try and keep this quick. So I got um, a couple of a couple of invites. Jim Laranega had asked me to come down and interview with him at Bowling Green, and I said to myself, you know what, I'm just going to take the year off because I don't want to have to move my family, blah, blah, blah. So – I turned that year that we got let go and I was unemployed into a positive. I got a four-month severance spray from Pitt, which was nice. I had only been there a couple of years. And um, I got a job with the Pistons as a part-time scout, advanced scout, 25 games. And I said, you know what? How do I get closer to these kids? So I worked in – I worked all these camps. Right. And I worked the ABCD camp. And sure enough, Kobe was on my team. And uh, he was only a junior. Uh, we won the championship. Uh, I was a big motion guy, so I remember we run in motion, a little story. In the middle of the week, uh, God Sham God joins my team. <laughs> and the players look at me and go, what happened to our motion? <laughs> so <laughs> we won the championship. And, and again, real quick, I sit the year, I do my thing. The following year, I go to St. John's. I get the job at St. John's. We're down at Villanova. And um, we had Felipe Lopez on the team. The game ended. We're in the locker room. I sit around because I'm just anal about cleaning up. I always clean the locker rooms up. Anyway, um, Anthony Lopez, his brother, comes in and says, Joe, Kobe Bryant's outside. He wants to say hello. So he remembered that I had coached him. Mm. I, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I don't remember any of the conversation. I just remember he had his varsity jacket on. Let's fast forward now. He gets famous. I got two boys that are young. I send a letter and two basketballs to uh, Sonny Vaccaro, who worked for Arm Tellum, sure. who was a representative of Kobe. And I get the two balls back signed, which I still have with a little note from the uh, secretary, Joe, and close the two Kobe autographed basketballs. Sonny and Kobe were very happy to do this for you. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I still have that letter, That's and cool. I actually still have the uh, roster of me coaching him, and I actually put it together. It's on my phone. So uh, That's really neat. But, um, you know, I, we're all in the same boat, whether you knew him or not. I mean, it's just – and I don't know how long – I don't know how long it's going to take for anybody to get over it. It's just sad. And when you think about the daughter and the other people and the sure. young kids. So yeah. so um, I can't tell you I was his best friend, but I do have a nice memory of uh, interacting uh, with him, no doubt. Well, That's a great a, story. He yeah. was a great, great, great ambassador for the game. And as you said, Coach, the way anybody, any player can uh, honor him is by emulating the work ethic. Anyone can work hard if they – put their mind to it and they, they had that kind of drive. So I'm sure that's a lesson that uh, um, you're hoping your team moves forward with 
I'm sure you already have a lot of hard workers on this team, which is a, a long-winded way of getting into the segue to Ryder and the work you're putting in this week for what will be all the road games are tough. Right. That's a tough place to play. That's a talented team. Uh, as we talk to you about Ryder and getting ready for that game and the work that goes into it, what are the keys? Well, you know, <laughs> going back to the same keys for us, we're going to have to find a way to – they've got four 1,000-point scorers in, in their starting lineup. So uh, that's certainly unique that, uh, you know, some of the teams in the league, you can say, say we need to take away this guy. We need to t-. They just got a lot of offensive weapons that we're going to have to uh, find a way to take. And, and I think for us it's pace. You know, we don't want to go up and down. We, we're always trying to find that fine line for pace – for us, can't be too slow because then we have trouble to score, but we don't want it to be quick either. Um, so we're going to have to find that that perfect spot where, you know, we can try and still get some easier baskets and make it a half-court grind for them. Um, but they're a very, very talented offensive team. You can see why the in the preseason poll they were picked second, I believe. Um, and, and it's going to be a very difficult game for us for sure. All right, Coach, that'll do it for this edition of Open Court with Jay Young. And a reminder, we will not be with you next week. We produce these podcasts on Tuesdays. The Stags play next Tuesday, so we'll look forward to seeing all of our listeners on February the 4th against Monmouth. That'll be a big game. No podcast next Tuesday. We'll be back producing one on February the 11th. So there will be a lot to talk about when we get back together again. And want to let you know in advance that in our next podcast, we'll also be joined by the Stags big man, Vincent Easy. He's a remarkable young man. He has a great story to tell, and we'll be joined by Vincent and allowing him to uh, tell his story. So hopefully uh, you can be with us then, and we're all looking forward to Hearing from Vincent when we come back in a couple of weeks, uh, his his journey, Coach, from Nigeria to Fairfield, you can give us a real quick tease. It is a fascinating story, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's amazing, and he's, I, I think um, you guys know him a little bit, but he's uh, a great young man. Uh, he's, he's zero maintenance, plays yeah. his heart out every night, and from he'll tell you the story. I don't want to give it away, but just a uh, really amazing story how he got to the United States to play and and ended up at Fairfield. That'll be great to look forward to when we're joined by Vincent Easy in a couple of weeks. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast for Coach Young and the Fairfield great Joe DeSantis. I'm Bob Huesler. Thanks for listening to Open Court. The Open Court Podcast is a presentation of Fairfield University Athletics. For future podcasts, videos, news, stats, and coverage of Fairfield Stags men's basketball, log on to fairfieldstags.com.